This week's guest is Leah Pumpkin. Currently residing in Portland, Oregon, Leah is the owner and driving force behind TheBarDirector.com, a website dedicated to movie reviews accompanied by craft cocktail pairings that are created specifically for each film. A born and bred New Yorker, we talk with Leah about her time spent living and bartending in Australia, her return to bartending in New York, and her passion for films and cocktails. Enjoy the show. We are back with another episode of the Industry Podcast. I'm your host, Kip. This is Dan. How you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm still awesome. Yeah, more or less. I don't even know why I bother asking you anymore. <laughs> it's, it's the same answer every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, what about yourself? How's business? Ah, it's shit. <laughs> so, this, this, until they change the rules around here in Ontario, uh, it's going to be rough for bars. Yeah. So they like when they show me the study that uh, COVID travels more more quickly uh, between 11 p.m. and 2 a.m. Because <laughs> apparently that's how it's working here. So yes. um, anyway, we don't need to get going on that again. Uh, if you are enjoying the industry podcast, the best way you can help us out is to subscribe, rate, and review right on wherever, wherever you listen to your podcast, Spotify, iTunes, wherever. Uh, if you want to be on the show, DM us at the industry podcast. Also, if you have any, if maybe if, you, if you're not even in the industry and you just have some topics you'd like us to hit on, then you can also DM us at the industry podcast. Uh, shout out to Zach Hanna at Zach Hanna Design for the artwork as always. Um, and we got another great guest for you, so we're just going to jump right at it. We have with us today Leah Pupkin. How's it going, Leah? Super good. How are you guys? We are okay. Well. Yeah, we're doing all right. Getting through this shit. How about uh, how you're coming to us from Portland? That's right. Portland, Oregon, not yes. Portland, Maine. Oh, right. Yeah, I guess that's too many Portland. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and how are things COVID related there? We got to get this out of the way right at the beginning of every podcast. So. Things feel like they're at a complete standstill. We've been in phase one for what feels like an eternity. Um, We moved here from New York in the beginning of June, and we kind of thought because it's a smaller city that this whole thing would maybe progress faster and be nullified faster. But now it seems like bigger cities like New York and L.A. are moving ahead of us, and we're still having our bars close at 10. So, like you said, you know, it's as if, oh, COVID spreads faster between, you know, 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. or whatever when people want to be out of bars, as if that makes any lick of scientific sense. sense. And I I think what they're trying to say is like, oh, people make worse decisions after 10 or 11 o'clock because they're drunker or whatever. But isn't that our job to make sure that they don't? Like, let us do our jobs. Exactly. We want to do our jobs. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you something. Being like my bar is kind of like everybody's last stop on the tour. So when the last stop on the tour has to stop at 11, then it kind of just gets cut out altogether. So, yeah, and honestly, it's kind of like not conducive to what they're trying to do because, at least for us, the bars close. If we're out at a bar, it closes at 10, and then we're like, all right, everybody come back to ours. And, you know, yeah. we're bartenders, we have a fully stocked bar, we'll make you drinks. And then we just end up bringing, not yep. strangers, but like a bunch of people into our homes. Yep, that's exactly what's drink. happening to continue yeah. drinking anyway so mm-hmm. and if you can't tell me that everybody else isn't doing the same thing so i know i, I see just, it all the it's time it's also backwards yeah. there's no consistency it's just all over the place it's just really shit for our industry specifically it seems so yeah not good so let's uh let's just stop talking about it yeah <laughs> it's not happening yeah everything's great everything's yeah. fine it's good good times uh okay so you uh started off your career uh in the industry in new york or in australia 
In New York. In New York. Okay. So, um, and what was your first job there? My first service industry job, I was a hostess, as every young girl is in college. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I kind of worked my way up through the ranks, hostess, server, bartender, uh, all over New York City and Long Island. And I went to school for music. I graduated with a BFA in vocal jazz performance. So when I did graduate, I did the teaching thing for a while. I taught private lessons in uh, some private music school and like freelanced with that and performed. And that was fun. And I still love it. I love playing and teaching music, but there's just way more money in bartending and in our industry. And I think that's why. A lot of people I know who do pursue something artistic or something not so nine to five in school end up getting like suckered into this industry because the instant gratification of cash is so wonderful and, and so reliable. And you, sadly, you know, you make more money behind the bar than you do maybe doing what you got your degree for. Yeah, I'm uh, I, I we got our degrees in political science and uh, that's they're not helping me a lick right now. We're, we're there waiting. you go, <laughs> political science labs to open up. <laughs> um, so yeah, and you then you do you did some work in Australia as well, yeah. I got a working visa, I was um, kind of run, run, running away from my problems. I went through like a horrible breakup and I was like, let me just go like as far away as I possibly can. Yeah, okay, yeah. Pretend that that's not happening. Yeah. So uh, I had always wanted to go to Australia and it was really easy to get a working visa. It was approved like almost instantly. So I did that and I worked there for a little over a year, just working and traveling up and down the East Coast. The first bar I worked at was actually called Tribeca NYC. And it was these two Australian brothers who were trying to have like a New York style restaurant in Australia. Because I don't know how it is in Canada, because you guys are Commonwealth too, but it's not a tipping culture over there. The Mm -hmm. minimum wage is much higher. It's like $20 an hour, and then it only goes up from there. So you're not relying on tips. So the service kind of suffers uh, because, you know, they don't really have to give a shit the way we do when we're working for tips. So these guys wanted to provide, you know, a a New York level of hospitality in Australia. So. I think the only reason they hired me was because I was a New Yorker, but <laughs> that was really cool. And I got to head up their bar program and I just did, you know, like classic New York cocktails like Manhattans and Cosmos. And that was really exciting for this little small town in Surfer's Paradise, Australia. Yeah. What's, what city was that? Uh, Surfer's Paradise is on the Gold Coast. It's, it's a really touristy part of Australia. You know, like you go for the beach. It's, it's a big party town. Oh, okay. It's, Kind of like a tiny, like, Atlantic City, you know, just a bunch of Very clubs cool. and just people out at all hours of the night. Yeah, cool. Here's a quick question. for In that no-tipping culture, uh, do people still actually tip, though, at all out there? Or is there people a... tip if they feel like you've gone above and beyond to give uh, okay. them exemplary service or if they have a connection with you uh, and you've really blown them away. But it, it's just... It's not a, a regular custom. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so you're just relying on your hourly wage, which to me that's a pro and a con because if you work a super slow shift where you have hardly any bar guests, you're making the same money as you would for right. a busy shift. But then if you work a busy shift and you're getting your ass kicked, you're not making a single cent more than you would if you were slow. You know what I mean? So, yeah, and it kind of, was, of yeah, that. it's, it's kind of, it's almost like breeze. Like you're saying, like, yeah, I don't know if you're super fucking busy and you're not making any more money. It's kind of like after a while, you're just like, why am I working any harder? Like, you're, I'll just, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, why am I in this industry? What's the point? Yeah. 
Uh, was uh, are there any other differences in the uh, bar culture that you could touch on from Australia and New York, or is it mostly just the tipping thing? Yeah, for sure. They um they have a big culture of bar fights and bar related <laughs> drunken belligerence and violence. Uh, Australians are <laughs> lovely people, super friendly and outgoing, but they love to drink. So they ended up having this thing called lockout laws where uh, you can't serve shots after midnight, you can't serve double pours, and just all these like little things that kind of restrict how much you can drink in you know a certain period of time. So trying to kind of quell that, yeah. that nature of drunken, belligerent bar fights. So like sport, sport I, found, I found that strange, though, because I feel like most shots are consumed after midnight. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, like so nobody's it, taking shots at eight p.m. No, it's like you need to get absolutely drunk first, and then you think shots are a good idea. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but um, I guess that's what they're trying to avoid. Um, okay, so yeah, you, you're doing most of your your work in New York, though, and I see that you worked at a place that uh, did uh, live axe throwing. Yeah, um, right before COVID, I was hired as the bar director for this place called the Live Axe, and it was the first axe throwing bar on the island of Manhattan. And I think one of the only ones that was approved to have a full bar. And uh, that to me is kind of strange. And now that I don't work there, I can say that I feel like it's not really safe to be serving people hard liquor and cocktails and then encourage them to throw axes. When they I've always wondered about that. So we, we had, we were talking about this earlier. Um, we had one of those in town here that recently closed down because of COVID shit. But uh, the, I always thought the same thing. I never went to it, but like, it doesn't seem like a great idea. Like, get drunk. No, and not so much. Yeah. <laughs> and, really, really bizarre. Yeah. And no, but no serious accidents or um, maimings occurred. They they never opened. So oh. like right before COVID, oh, and then shit. you know the shutdown happened. So I think they're finally opening now as we speak. Oh so shit! I think. I like to think things happen for a reason. It probably wasn't meant to be that I was around <laughs> a bunch of drunk people throwing, throwing axes. axes. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you already went through your bar fight days. That's exactly. <laughs> Why relive them? Um, so you were also working at a place called the Flower Shop. Tell me about that place. Yes. Oh, I'm actually wearing their shirt. I didn't even oh. plan that. Uh, the Flower Shop is a dope bar. It's on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, kind of in Chinatown. It's owned by Australians, so weirdly, I worked in Australia and ended up working for Australians in New York. Uh, the chef is English. She's mission-starred. It's only been open for two or three years, but they've really made like a family with the locals and also garnered a reputation for being a low-key hangout for celebrities. So I think because it's kind of like off the beaten path and tucked away in Chinatown, some higher profile people would feel, you know, comfortable, like they could hang out there and let their guard down. So like Rami Malek from Mr. Robot and Bohemian Rhapsody hung out there all the time. Oh, cool. We did his season premiere after party for the last season of Mr. Robot, Victoria oh, nice. and David Beckham. Tony Hawk was an investor. So oh, wow, yeah, cool. stuff like that. We did a lot of like private parties, a lot of fashion week stuff. Um, but it wasn't like a fancy upscale cocktail bar. It was two levels, the, top level was more of a restaurant and then the bottom was like a bar and lounge with a pool table and the whole place looked like somebody's grandmother's basement in the midwest in the 70s oh so, that's awesome <laughs> it, yeah it was really chill like a really relaxed fun aesthetic and the vibe was always good and the clientele was always good which celebrity was the biggest was... dickhead Ooh, 
I don't I don't think I had a negative experience. Actually, no, you know what? There's I don't know how much of a celebrity he is, but there's an artist named Youngblood who dated Halsey for a while. Oh, okay. He was he was kind of a douche. Yeah. He was at um what was it? A Jimmy Choo like fashion week event that we did and he was dressed like Jared Leto's version of the Joker, like oh. a full face of makeup and like green hair and a weird Beetlejuice suit. I was like, "What are you doing, bro? Like, you just look like a fucking idiot." <laughs> but, right. Have you been working since you got to Portland? No, I've been doing some freelance stuff, mostly like weddings, small okay. weddings, and um, stuff like that here and there. And then I've mostly been focusing on the social media side of things. So a mm. lot of brand partnerships with liquor brands will they'll send me bottles and then pay me, you know, a certain amount of money to create cocktails and promote their product on Instagram and stuff like that. So that's been good. You know, at least it's something in the meantime while I'm not at a bar. And how does that um, come to take place? Like, how do you get involved in that? Is that like you get a certain number of followers on Instagram? I'm fucking social media idiotic. So you need to explain this stuff to me. Um, So like you get a certain number. I'm just guessing you get a certain number of followers. They start reaching out to you or is it something you have to be proactive about? Basically, yeah, a little bit of both. So you, you definitely have to look legit enough from the outside, but you also have to put the work into, you know, it's not like, oh, you have X amount of followers and you never post about cocktails or liquor and they just reach out to you because you're a pretty girl or whatever. Like, mm. you have to be a person in the industry who's posting about cocktails and liquor and making videos constantly, you know, like almost daily. I think I, I try to post every day. And yeah, you have to be creating content and using the hashtags that are relevant. And I think that's how people find you. So yeah, a combination of building up a big enough following that you look reputable and legit. And then also just being uh, committed and devoted to creating content almost every single day. Yeah. And I know yeah. I've noticed from doing your like a little research on you before, like what we actually do a little research on the show. I know it's hard to believe sometimes when you listen <laughs> to it, but uh, you uh, you certainly are involved in a lot of different things. Now, do you and I, what I wanted to ask you about is I, I want to talk about your bar director project because I think it's pretty cool. But the, um, but before we get into that, is this. Like, is this a sort of a new way that bartenders can go? Like, with, with all the uncertainty going on right now in the service and bar industry, restaurants, uh, due to COVID, um, is this, like, a viable alternative for someone to just sort of patchwork together all these different sort of... Like, everything you do is sort of industry-related, but not. But you're not working in a bar or a restaurant. Like, is this a viable career path for someone who is worried about their job in the service industry? I think it is. I mean, I think it's definitely a great alternative right now and a side hustle that you could be doing at all times, even when things are back to normal, whatever that means, and you are working in a bar. Because there are, there are guys on Instagram like the Garnish Guy or Bad Birdie, all these bartenders in L.A. who have a massive, massive following, way bigger than Yancey or myself, and they do all these brand partnerships and they get flown all over the place just to style a photo shoot and make some cocktails and take some pictures and you know that you can get to a point where you don't even have to be behind a bar anymore and you can just sustain yourself from I hate this word but being an influencer in this industry right and there are people who are doing that outside of the bar world so why shouldn't you know bartenders and mixologists and cocktail creators be able to do the same thing yeah I think you're right about that and I think that it's interesting um that and I, uh, this kind of gets into one something that maybe you were interested in talking about as well. Like, 
for some reason, people, like you say, people do this in almost every field and it's considered normal. Like if you're a chef, you're going to be a celebrity chef, star chef. Nobody thinks that's weird if you're doing just videos on Instagram or a YouTube show or whatever. But for some reason, it hasn't, that hasn't really transferred over to the bar side as much. Um, me, but, but to your point that you made in, in your email, um, like craft cocktailing is no different than creating a, like an amazing, uh, meal or food dish, right? Totally. Yeah. And yet we don't get the same respect as chefs. And I, that's something I think about all the time. And I think at the end of the day, it just has to do with the stigma against drinking, which is so backwards to me because drinking is such a huge part of our culture. You know, it's the only drug per se that's a hundred percent legal everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we drink with every meal, we drink socially, we drink to celebrate, we drink when we're sad, we drink all the time, just as much as we eat, if not more so. And yet there's this stigma against bartending as a career when being a chef is celebrated. So I think mixology and the way we look at cocktails now is elevating to a point that is unprecedented. Like cocktail culture has never been as complex and artistic and respected as it is now, but I think we still have far to come. I think we still have a ways to go until, you know, you can tell somebody I'm a bartender, I'm a bar manager, and they don't kind of like scoff at you and say, Oh, but, but what do you really do? Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. what do you yeah. really want to do? Well, yeah, oh, what are you trying to do? Just, yeah. just for now, but Oh, what did you go to school for? What do you really do? Right. Uh, yeah, that's interesting too. And like, I, I wonder if sometimes, Sometimes I wonder if even just like the, some of the verbiage, like if you say you're a server, well, like right there in the title, it's like you're subservient, right? Um, yeah, and, oh, and I, I serve you. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's where sometimes some of that stigma comes from. But there is a longstanding stigma. And I think we have some guilt about it uh, pent up as well, where it's like, oh, I've just been bartending for all this time. Like I, I can speak for myself. It took me a long time to get over this notion that it was okay to just be a bartender for my career um yeah i I don't know if that i'm I'm wondering if that's gonna continue into this next generation or do you feel like it's changing enough where the next generation is kind of okay with that now i think the next generation is getting to be okay with that but again i think it'll just take time for us to have the same respect as other people in this industry and yeah, I don't I don't know. I think that comes with accepting that ourselves. Like you said, I definitely still have trepidations about people ask what I do and I say I'm a bartender and you know, mm-hmm. they work at like a hedge fund or mm-hmm. they, you know, are a nurse or something like that. And like if we didn't do this job, who would, you know? Somebody yeah. has to do every job, so why should we feel any type of way about it? But yeah, I think with our generation being so plugged into social media and the way that social media is going hand in hand with the the bar and cocktail industry right now, I think that will be beneficial to us. But I see no reason why there can be celebrity chefs, but not celebrity bartenders. Yeah, that's true. Uh, The other side of the whole, and we've talked about this a couple of times on the show with other people who have been on, the other side, the sort of negative side of this bar star way that we're going now is um that it kind of can take people away from like a grounded idea of what the job's all about which is looking after the guests do you see any issues with that 
Absolutely. There's YouTube guys whose videos I watch who fancy themselves bartenders and mixologists and have never set foot behind a bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, like this this how to drink guy or I can't remember their names because they're so inconsequential to me. But that guy stands <laughs> out because he makes these videos and, and he's just talking and, you know, making a cocktail as if he fucking knows anything. But he's never bartended a day in his life. And yes, he admits that. But it's like, who are you to have hundreds of thousands of followers? looking to you for how to make a drink when you've never been behind a bar, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's hard not to take that personally. It would like, do you guys remember what happened with Stanley Tucci over quarantine? No, Stanley I, Tucci, the actor, yeah. <laughs> he made a video making his wife a Negroni, but he did everything like as wrong as you can possibly imagine. <laughs> And, like, we all know how to make a Negroni, and he didn't do equal parts. He shook it. He served it up. He served it with an orange wedge instead of a zest, you know? Like, he just, it was this, like, abomination of a Negroni, and the whole bar industry was freaking out because, you know, it's it's a silly thing to be upset about, but at the same time, Stanley Tucci is, like, a, a, you know, award-winning, world-famous actor, and he has this reach and this platform and this audience, and now he's out there showing millions of people how to make a Negroni wrong. Whereas there are, you know, legit bartenders like us who are trying to make a name for ourselves on the internet and on social media who will never reach the amount of people that Stanley Tucci does. Right. Well, so, and like, and also uh, should I just get on YouTube and fucking do a scene from big night? No. Like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and people were like, Oh, Stanley Tucci. He's so cute. He's making a Negroni. But like, imagine if, I don't know, like Tom Cruise, got on there and, and made his wife a steak and he just cooked it well done and slathered a bunch of like maple syrup and hot sauce on it. <laughs> yeah. Like, would people would people be okay with that? No. Well I bet it's, it's a cocktail. People don't take it as seriously. I bet his wife thought it was less cute when she had to drink it. So yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's uh, so that's where it all got on that. Yeah. Tucci. Suck on that Tucci. Um <laughs> Okay, so um, let's talk a little bit about, since we've moved into the area of film now, uh, I don't know how we got there, but uh, <laughs> yeah. What let's a talk, smooth transition. Yeah, yeah I everybody. think you saw this coming. Um, <laughs> I, I would take credit for this segue, but I think I was set up. But <laughs> no, let's talk about the bar director. Tell me what you're doing with that. Cool. Yeah, so I've launched a blog where I do film reviews accompanied by craft cocktail pairings. And I want to clarify because every time I tell somebody, they're like, oh, cool. Like you pair our cocktail with a movie. Like I should drink a martini when I watch James Bond. But it's a little more involved than that. So I create a cocktail, a brand new cocktail, specifically inspired by the movie that I'm watching and reviewing. Cool. Uh, And I love film. I've studied film. And that connection has always been obvious to me. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised that no one's really doing it. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, uh, I think, and this kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier, that drinking sort of, we do it with uh, with with everything in life, right? So, if you, and certainly if you're watching a movie at home, you're probably drinking something. So, um, in many ways, you could like pair, there's a lot of things that we could be doing probably is where you're pairing a cocktail with. So good for you to coming up for coming up with this idea. How do you, how do you go about pairing a cocktail with a movie? Give me a couple examples. Yeah, so uh, it really depends on the film. Sometimes it's really literal, and sometimes it's really cerebral. Um, gosh, I should have had my website pulled up. That way I could give you an example. But, uh, for example, I did, like, my top ten favorite films of the past decade, and one of them was 
Avengers Infinity War, which was such a wonderful film and such a feat of filmmaking, 10 years in the making. Uh, but if you've seen it, you know that the villain Thanos has his Infinity Gauntlet with six Infinity Stones that each represent a different, you know, component of existence, space, time, mind, reality, etc. So they're all a different color. And I did Google, uh, you know, Infinity Gauntlet cocktail because I had a feeling a couple people would have tried. And the only thing I saw was this, you know, like layered cocktail with one color representing each stone. Mm. And it looked really pretty, but I was like, there's no fucking way that tastes good. Right. <laughs> yeah, just like, yeah. Six different, you know, completely unrelated ingredients, like a bunch of different cordials, like, oh, blue is blue curacao, red is Campari. That just sounds awful. So uh, I took a more uh, kind of like metaphorical approach where I was like, all right, the soul stone is the soul of the drink. That will be the base spirit um, and stuff like that. So I'm trying to find. Well, what, what is your I should, I should remember my own cocktail. What's that? Oh, what is your website, by the way? What is the URL? It's just thebardirector.com. Perfect. That's also amazing that, like, that really proves that you were the first person to come up with this because the fact that that was still available to you as yeah. a domain name. Right? Yeah. Like, bar, you know, we know what a bar director is. That's what we call yeah. ourselves. Yeah. Director, like, movies, the whole thing. So, yeah, yeah I'm shocked Perfect. that wasn't taken. So, yeah, that was a really, uh, like, cerebral approach. And then other ones are more, you know, on the nose, like, Star Wars is so easy because you just do like a blue bantha milk or uh, Twin Peaks, you know, the show. There's coffee, there's cherry pie, there's, you know, physical like ingredients right. that you can take and, and put into a cocktail. So either it's really literal and it's something that's seen being consumed in the movie or it's totally metaphorical or somewhere in between. And so how often are you doing this? Like once a week, once a month? Yeah, I was doing it once a week, and my goal after I made my top 10 of the 2010s list, my goal was to review one new film each week as they come out. But again, with the pandemic, the, the film industry is also kind of at a standstill. Yeah. Um, new stuff is kind of coming out, but so many huge releases were delayed until 2021. So yeah, I was, I was doing like some Netflix releases and stuff like that, and then I did Scream, my most recent one, because it's one of my favorite horror movies ever. I had to do a horror film for Halloween season. I saw that cocktail that you did. Uh, and you actually had like, describe how you, what you did with, um, well, just describe what you did. You'll do it better than I. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it was just an, an edible decal cool. kind of like you would put on a cake. So it's an edible printer and edible ink. It's like rice paper. And then it just printed uh, ghost face from scream. It's got to be an egg white cocktail. Cause it's got to sit right. on top of the foam, but yeah, yeah. you just, pop it right on top there and it looks super yeah, awesome yeah, it did. blows it everybody awesome. away it does look awesome everybody should go check out her website because some of the drinks on there look amazing mm -hmm. so yeah thanks guys yeah um it's funny that you say that too that you find also like when you're when you're watching films like if they are you were t you mentioning james bond earlier like you, you know he's drinking martinis and like i find myself i'm watching a film like that like i, I watched that on the rocks film the other day um the new um sofia coppola film with Bill oh, Murray, and oh, it was really good, yeah. Uh, but they're drinking martinis through the whole thing in all these cool New York bars, and it's just that's all I wanted after I finished watching the movie was to drink a martini. Do you, you find that film can have that effect on you as well? Totally, and I'm surprised more when movie theaters aren't open, I'm surprised more of them don't take advantage of that 
pairing that is, is very obvious to people like us. Uh, and I would go to some of those nicer, like, dine-in food and drink service to your seat movie theaters, and they'd be screening movies, and they would have a cocktail on the menu named after the movie, but it would just be, like, an existing cocktail with a different name. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I remember I went to see this wild Nicolas Cage movie called Color Out of Space, fucking crazy, like, Lovecraftian sci-fi film, and all it was... It was called Uncaged for Nick Cage, and it was literally just a French 75. And I was like, <laughs> come on, guys. Like, it's right there. You're almost there. Yeah. You're not doing it. Like, also, how is, that un- there. how is that drink yeah, represent like uncaged, uncaged anyway? Is that a French 75? <laughs> the most like, caged the most fucking caged cocktail I could think of. Drink there is. Yeah. Nick Cage would not drink a French 75. I so. feel like he only drinks tequila right out of the bottle. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, like well tequila too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Possible yeah. thing. Cuervo gold out of the <laughs> bottle at all times, or Sousa silver. Um, oh, love that. <laughs> love that Sousa. Yeah. So uh, th- that connection was—it's always like, oh, like you're almost there with these big movie theaters like Alamo Drafthouse and IPIC and stuff like that. Where I don't—I don't know who does their cocktail menus, but I would love to be that person and just to you know make a cocktail for each movie that they're screening and be constantly changing the menu. I think. Well, I think that's what you should do. Gold there. No one is doing it. Just go the straight movie for it. They're probably dying like everything else. So. Yeah. Well, that's the problem. I'm like, just assuming that, myself. Assuming. Yeah. Right. Just do another job that won't be there in a little bit. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's what I do. Apparently. You're, work, you're working the wrong way here, Leah. Uh, <laughs> for jazz, you know, a dying art that nobody yeah. listens to anymore. And I uh, be a bartender and now movie theaters are closing. So. Oh uh, yeah. And you can't do live music in bars anymore anyway. So that's, <laughs> um, uh, but I think you should do it though. Like if movie theaters do come back, you're already the bar director you can be the bar director of a movie theater that would be awesome exactly double entendre and you're and you're right that they need to step their games up with cocktails in theaters like it'd be cool to have like a really independent theater like an old school independent theater that ends up getting a liquor license and doing putting a little bit more into it and then just like like we have some cool ones here in town. I don't even know if they're running or open, but um, Apollo I think is open. It's still open, yeah. but really, it's just like craft beer, a red wine, a white wine. You know what I mean? Like let's right. get, let's step some the well co- drinks, yeah, gin and tonic, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, the cocktail game needs to come to the the art house theater. Um, okay, so since your reviewing is kind of your thing, uh, let's get into a little bit of reviewing the job of the bartender as a whole what uh what do we love about it what do we hate about it what gets five stars i don't know what your rating system is Is, do you go with stars thumbs up thumbs down i i just talk shit until i come to a conclusion i don't i don't have a that is perfect for this show (laughs) yeah because that's all i do on this show every week (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh there's so many uh, there's pros and cons to any career i'm sure but I guess let's start with the cons and then we'll end on a positive note in regards to this. Cause I know a lot of people get burnt out in this industry and it, it's so easy to get burnt out. And I definitely did. And that's when I stepped away and, and taught music for a while. And it was definitely a refreshing change of pace. Um, Cause as much as we love, you know, like the thrill of being behind the bar, the hours are definitely not everybody's favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, late nights it's weekends it's holidays it's you know missing out on time 
with your family and with loved ones who work normal nine to five jobs. And uh, until Yancey, my boyfriend, who is also a sex bartender, I, I had never dated anybody in this industry. So I was always dating someone who did work, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five. And I would always have this like FOMO where I would be working Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and he would be out with his friends going to bars and having a great time. And I would be missing out on that. And I, it was always kind of a bummer. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for dating somebody in your industry and uh, And there's pros and cons to that as well. Well, I'd like to give Yancy a quick shout out too, because I'm pretty sure I could be wrong. You can, people should check our archives. They should just be doing that anyway, but, um, (laughs) people should check our archives, but I'm fairly certain that Yancy was our first non-Canadian guest on the show. So so, shout out to Yancy if he's in there anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he's probably upstairs playing call of duty but okay yeah. <laughs> uh, uh okay so tell me a couple of, the hours are obviously that's always going to be an issue for us and i know what you mean too like i i've been lucky that i pretty much dated people in the industry and now married to someone who's in the industry for like several years but well, i found it was more with the family shit that that's when like uh, family members or your spouses or partners, family members can't understand why you can't be at a at an event at eight in the morning after on totally. Sunday. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like, bitch, I just went to sleep. Yeah. Like, I'm still out. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that the hours that would be the most obvious thing, and I think that's what deters a lot of people from choosing this as a career path. And I I totally get that, and I don't blame them. But um, that and and just the wear and tear, I guess the daily wear and tear of being a server. Like you said, it's your job to serve people and and people can be wonderful, but people can also be fucking monsters. And, you know, they look at us and they think that we're just robots designed to meet their needs and that we don't have thoughts and feelings and that we don't deserve the same respect. So yeah, depending on, on what kind of bar you work in, but I, for a while I worked in a, a luxury hotel where the clientele was just awful, like the most awful, entitled, rich people that I had ever dealt with in my life. And, you know, those are the kind of people that look at us as beneath them. And so so ridiculous that that's something we should even have to deal with, but it is. What's worse, working with that as your client base or working with a bunch of uh, brawling Australians as your client base? Oh, yeah. I'll say brawling Australians over anyone, any day. Because at least they're still nice. You know? Yeah, yeah, they're nice they to you, just not to each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 they flirt um, with you. It's great. Okay, well, since we're on the topic of guests as well, like let's let's talk a little bit about pet peeves. With uh, like, what are, what are some of the give give us some tips for to smarten up the etiquette of guests once we're all allowed to get back to normal here? Oh boy, yeah. Especially now, I think people should take into consideration how they treat bartenders and servers because yeah, now there's a whole. It's other fun. set of rules and other things that we have yeah. to worry about. And it's tough for us right now. Be nice to your servers and bartenders in during COVID time. <laughs> yeah, be nice all the time. Yeah, be nice Just all don't the time. Be, don't be shitty. That's what yeah. I always say. But unfortunately, <laughs> people need more guidance than that. <laughs> yeah. Don't, yeah, just be patient and be kind. And that will always get you further than being rude. You know, like mm-hmm. I worked a shift at the flower shop that was a Saturday afternoon college football shift. And first of all, I don't know why people are so invested in their college football team when they're no longer in college, but it would be (laughs) all of these like rowdy Southern 
there's like, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Florida. And I'm like, first of all, why are you in New York? And how did you just happen to know that my bar is doing a college football thing? But they would turn out in droves every Saturday from like two to seven. It would just be me, like no support staff, no runner, no bar back, no other bartender, like just me getting raped in the face by like <laughs> hundreds of rabid college football fans. And it, it was fun, like, because I love that. That's a terrible mental image, by that. the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I maybe should have said words better. But, <laughs> yeah, but some of them were, you know, nice, and others are just barking orders at you. And, it, you know, they see that you're making five cocktails, you know, and you're double shaking, and you're pouring a beer, and you're closing somebody out, and they're just screaming from the opposite end of the bar, can I have six Bud Lights and 12 tequila shots? And you're like really like i haven't even made eye contact with yeah. you i will and, and when you're the only one behind the bar like you have the authority to be like i will get to you when i get to yeah. you because i'm the only one here and if you want to drink you have to go through me mm -hmm. so and why yeah, do, it, why it, do guests know. think that works like don't they understand that we're in control of the alcohol like, yeah, like pissing us off is never gonna yeah is it ever worked for you <laughs> my favorite I, yeah. used, I, I worked at a nightclub for a stretch and people would like stand at the end of the bar waving their money in the air which is so fucking insulting waving their money <laughs> at you, and then pounding their fists on the bar and then so of course i served them last i finally get over there and i'm like okay what and they didn't know what they wanted oh <laughs> like that's like, why are you why are you in such a, a panic to get a drink when you don't even fucking know what you want yet like that that'll be one of my biggest pet peeves for guests if you walk up to a bar a busy bar Know what you want before you get there. Know what like, you want. Yeah. What is? Yeah, like, especially if you're going to act like an entitled douchebag, leaving <laughs> fucking money around. <laughs> like you should get served first. And, and here's a tip: if I get if you're coming to a cool new craft cocktail spot or whatever, but if it's super busy and I know you want to try the craft cocktails, if you just get there and you see that it's super busy and you're up getting up to the bar and trying to get a drink, that's not the time to be sifting through the cocktail list just have a cocktail mind get that one and then then take a look at the list and for your next yeah one, you'll know what you want right? when there's a lull yeah. yeah read the room i always say read the room you know like order based on the bar that you're in don't order a martini in a dive bar you know and mm -hmm. and as much as you want eight mojitos in the middle of a fucking rush like maybe just wait until the next order, until happy hour is over, until the rush has died down a little bit and just get something simple now and then come back for those cocktails later. And it's difficult to talk about because people do come to a bar to pay for the drink that they want and they're, mm -hmm. you know, entitled to that experience. But at the same time, we're human and there should be a certain level of consideration of, oh, the bartender is really busy right now. Maybe I shouldn't order seven different egg white cocktails. Right. Maybe so, I should yeah. wait for the right moment and just have a vodka right. soda right or, now. No, people are too stupid. <laughs> yeah, like we're, we're asking too much. Yeah. You know? Or like yeah, the one where it's like, uh, oh, I want um, four martinis. I want one with gin, one with vodka, one dry, one with, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like two with rice. One with olives, one yeah. with twist. Oh my God! That uh, like yeah, I, I actually had a, a bartender work for me, and he would literally say to people, and I I don't think there's actually anything wrong with this, but you can correct me if you think that there is. Like in that situation, he would just say, "Look, why don't you just get like four vodka sodas right now? Here's the cocktail list, and then when you come up the next time, you'll know what you want." Like that that should yeah. be okay to say, right? 
I don't think that's unreasonable. Yeah, like I don't know how much how I know we're there for the guests. We're trying to help to to make the experience as as great for the guests as possible. But there's also like a line when you're really fucking busy. The guest needs to understand that first of all, the customer is not always right. Secondly, that um, yeah, good, that, luck, good luck trying to yeah <laughs> that they that they do need to read the room and just be like, okay, obviously this person's getting railed right now. Why don't I just make it easy on them now and then. I'll take a look at what I want later. Yeah, 100%. Just don't be an asshole, and you're always going to get better service. Always, you know, try to be kind to the bartender, too. Like, if you engage and say, how are you, and, you know, make some pleasantries, then you're going to establish a relationship with your bartender, and they will have kind of an incentive to be nicer to you and just want to give you a more personal experience, and then... You know, you become a regular and you get taken care of, like because right. it, it is a it's a personal industry at the end of the day, and that's how it works. So, if you're rude and you're curt and you're standoffish, then you know nobody's going to be happy to see your face. But if you're kind and you're patient and you're you know giving and you tip well, then you're always going to be taken care of. So, I it's so simple, like just don't be a dick and you'll get better service. But for some reason, that is so hard for people to do. Yeah, get. it's not as simple as it seems to be. What What's more important to you, politeness or good tipping? Oh, I feel I want to be like, you know, the bigger person and say politeness. But you can call me a bitch and then tip me $100 and I'll, I'll be happier than if you okay. were just That's nice. That's so <laughs> uh, I kind of I kind of slant the other way because I figure at the end of the night, I'm going to make my money no matter what. And I would I would I figure I would rather somebody just be polite and courteous and even give me a shitty tip. Uh, I prefer that person than, than a total asshole who gives me a giant tip. But That's true. but, I, That's but true. I can see both sides. Um, what's uh, what's so for instance, like a pet peeve of mine is when somebody comes up to the bar and I'll be like, Hey, how's it going? And they're like, Coors Light. I'm like, well, that's, oh. not, that's not what I asked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually just asking how you were doing, but, uh, uh, what, so what, what are some of your pet peeves for guests? I can't stand that. Um, making a mess of my bar, like ripping up a coaster, ripping up a straw wrapper or, Oh, the biggest one would be touching my fucking garnishes. Like, oh. do not put your hands in my fucking olives, sir. Because I've I've looked a grown man dead in the face and been like, and just dumped the olives out right in front of them. And I was like, this is what you get. Like, now I have to dump out all these olives because you put your disgusting, grimy hands in there, and I don't know where your hands have been. And this, yeah. this is a grown man. Yeah. Like, he's probably married and has children, but he's sticking his fat fingers in my olive jar. Like, that's yeah. a socially acceptable thing to do. Well, and especially these that. days. Don't touch right? the garnishes. Like, I, yeah. I had, we had it happen at the bar just the other night. I'm like, do you realize there's a fucking pandemic going on and you're just shoving your hands into the garnishes? <laughs> like, yeah. Now more so than ever, but. Yeah, yeah but anytime. All I, the time. Do not touch to- the garnishes. Those we are not for you. That's we so have, bizarre. It, well, fuck, man. Like, <laughs> you wouldn't believe how often it happens. Like, we had, um, we have two wells at my bar, and we had the, it was slower, so we'd shut down the one side, right? So we had saran wrapped all the garnishes on the other side of the, the well, and we had a, a girl come up to the bar, peel back the saran wrap, and start eating no. the garnish. And I'm like, what are you doing right now? And my bartender tried to stop him, her, and she was like, uh, 
I am a paying, she said patron. I think she meant patron, but oh <laughs> my like, God. yeah, I'm like, you're not paying it for anything right now. Actually, you're just helping yourself to my garnish. But yeah, like, why do people do that? It's, they're not it's stacks. insane. Yeah. Like social graces. W- would you go to the frozen yogurt place and just start like picking at all the garnishes that you're supposed to put on top of your froyo? <laughs> like, no. Yeah. But for some reason, like something about our job makes people think they can just do whatever they want. How do you feel about the new trend towards like sampling everything? Uh, and by that, I mean, for instance, like last night, uh, we were busy at the bar and someone I, I was bartending and the server came up to me and was like, oh, um, they want to try all the beers. <laughs> I clearly now we only granted we only have four what? four beers on tap because we're a cocktail spot. We're not a beer spot. But yeah, the, I, I, I was like, yeah, I guess. Just, oh, so do you do you do samples? I'm like, yeah, I guess we could like give them a little taste of the beer, see if they like it. Okay, they want to sample all of them. Like what? It's not Baskin Robbins. Yeah, that's. I guess that would be another like read the room situation if it's not really busy. I guess that's okay, but it's it's kind of just the principle of it, isn't it? It's, I think they're just trying to get feel free right. drinks. I, I, they're I, just I, trying to get free shit. Yeah. When you're trying four beers, that's a tasting flight, and you oh, should yeah. be paying for it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I just don't understand, and that's become like a new thing where guests feel like, I don't know, because places do it now, I guess, but guests feel like that's just something they can request. And like I've seen them do it with wine. I've had someone really? do it to me with wine. And I'm like, well, I can't really give you a sample of that because I don't have an open bottle. I'm not going to fuck Yeah, you. that's even worse. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to open a bottle for you to have some, a free taste of it. <laughs> like, I'm going to start pulling Do you find people in. ever try to do that with liquor? Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. I've had it with liquor. Like, oh, I don't, I don't know what bourbon I want. Can I try that Pappy Van Winkle yeah. up there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Do <laughs> so you have the 20 year? <laughs> I've never tried the 20 year Pappy Van Winkle and I'm not sure <laughs> if I'm going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> but people actually ask to taste oh it. yeah it happens and i think it's become a new thing and it's like gotten to this point where the guests feel almost like they expect too much from the experience like that that, that we're, we're there for them so much that they can literally just request well, anything they, they want what the fuck you think this is costco where you get know. samples everywhere it's <laughs> And I think that, I don't know, like, there's got to be a, like, it's funny, I, I was speaking with a musician the other day who is uh, head of a, the local union here for musicians, and he went on a rant about how bars that don't charge cover for live music, um, that, that that's a problem in the industry, because then people go and they don't expect to have to pay to see live music, because mm. people are giving it away. Yeah. And it's almost the same philosophy with what I'm talking about with the sampling, where it's like, if you if you set that expectation for the guests, then that's what they're going to expect. Yeah, absolutely. And if you you know you let them get away with it to a certain degree, then they're going to keep coming back and telling their friends, and suddenly it's the norm. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. if there's nobody who will take uh, if you give them an inch, take a mile, like uh, the the guests at a bar or restaurant. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one person that you serve two minutes after last call because they've been coming in a lot. Oh, how often does that yeah. do? <laughs> and then somebody else sees it, and suddenly yeah. you're, you know, taking all your tins out again and yeah, yeah. ten fucking uh, cocktails. What's but that? again, it, it kind of goes back to the the chef comparison again, because like, would you ask to sample four things off of the menu? You know, would exactly. you make all these insane requests for substitutions in the middle of a super busy dinner service? Yeah. No. So like, why do you 
maybe it's because they see us face to face that they feel comfortable asking these things, you know, like you don't see the chef, you don't see the kitchen staff, so you're kind of removed from the process. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe that has something to do with it. But yeah, and and they feel like maybe it's going to be harder for you to say no because you're looking right at them or something. Right. I don't know. Conversely, though, I'd like to ask you, okay. do you have a pet That's... peeve for bartenders? Like when you go to a bar, you sit down at somebody else's bar. What what do you want from the bartender or are there any, you know, little habits that bother you that you feel like this is not the way a bartender should be behaving? Hmm. Well, this is really not the way this show works, Leah, but since you flipped the script here, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll I give it a shot. Uh, I, That's I, fine I, no, no, I like it. I like it. I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> um, uh, that's a good question, actually. Uh I, pretty much everything I did when I worked for you? Yes. No. <laughs> um, yeah. You gave away the Pappy Van Winkle, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, that's right. You. Uh, let's see. What do I not like that bartenders or servers do? Or what do you like? Like, what do you look for when you go sit at somebody else's bar? I like a bartender who knows how to read the guests properly. Because I mm-hmm. am the type of guest that I'm not really there to make friends with the bartender or the server. If I go to a bar by myself, it doesn't mean that I, I went there because I wanted to talk to you. I, I probably just wanted to have a drink and, and uh, like, you know fall into my deep, dark thoughts. <laughs> right. but, oh, and if I go with uh, somebody I'm hanging out with, then I, I'm there to talk to them. Like, that is a big pet peeve for me with a bartender or a server is when they can't read that you're, that you're really not there to talk to them. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, like, that's a good one. I mean, most of our job is reading people. So yeah. if you can't do that, then you should maybe consider an alternate career path. Yeah, and and like I don't, I've seen bartenders too who like, feel the need to tell you their whole fucking life story. And I'm like, I, like I'm not telling you mine. What made you think I want to hear yours? And I think that works both ways. I, I don't necessarily need to hear the guest's entire life story either. But um, yeah. What, so now you answer that question. Well, I conversely, I do like making friends with a bartender. And not, not all the time. Like you said, sometimes you just want to enjoy a drink in silence. But uh, yeah, I, I do like befriending bartenders. And I like when people do it to me. And I do feel like it's good to, you know, network and establish relationships yeah. and connections. And, you know, whether it's on Instagram or in real life, like then you end up, you know, having bartender friends all over the world. And that's, that's really cool. Whether you're traveling or in your own city. Um, I do like befriending the bartender and yeah, just, I do appreciate somebody who can read people and, and hone into that without you having to say anything. Um, but yeah, I think, Regardless of whether or not you want to have a 10-minute chat, a friendly bartender is really important. Because if you're not personable and you're not kind, then you shouldn't be doing this job. And a a pet peeve that now I'm reminding myself of, I worked for this bar director who, he was brilliant. I won't say his name, obviously, but incredibly talented uh, mixologist and so knowledgeable about cocktails and liquor. But we were in kind of this small town where people just like to drink what they already knew. You know, it was like a, a summer beach town and they just like their like bay breezes and their mudslides and pina coladas and stuff like that. And he tried to do this really elaborate over the top, like Brooklyn hipster cocktail menu. And people would come to the bar and just try to order regular drinks. And he would try to steer them towards one of his mm. cocktails. And like, while there is a time and a place for that, there's also 
sometimes not a time yeah. and a place for that. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, cause at the end of the day, it is our job to just give people what they want. So mm. who are you to be trying to educate someone when they're just trying to order a fucking drink that they already know that they like? Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, and it's funny we had, um, Josh Lindley on here who uh, runs Bartender Atlas. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that site. Oh at all. yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he is, he was talking about how when he goes to a bar, if, if he will always try something off the cocktail list because he figures the bartenders put a lot of time into coming up with that list. And he's like, if I don't like it, I'll just have one. Then I'll go back to what I normally drink and I'll recognize, yeah. okay, maybe that list isn't good. Maybe the bartender doesn't really know what they're doing, but I'll always give it a shot. But so I, I've tried to take that to heart now recently. And I, I don't take it personally, though. On the other end, if somebody comes to like our bar and wants just a vodka soda, like you should get to drink yeah. what you want, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that. there's there's such a pretentiousness that comes along with cocktail culture and, and being a cocktail bartender that can be on either end. You know, there can be a pretentiousness from the guest and there can be pretentiousness from mm. the bartender where that can be kind of a hindrance because at the end of the day, it's just fucking booze, man. Like, yeah. I'm just here to, to drink alcohol. It's just alcohol. It's just liquid in a glass and people have these insane, you know, yeah. we perceptions and preconceived notions about it. It could be the subtitle to the industry podcast, but like the, the mantra of this show is we make drinks and we bring them to tables. Get over yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's just, all it is at the end of the day. Yeah. Like, I, and yourself. that's another pet peeve when you're talking about um, um, like what I don't like when I, I don't like a bartender that's putting on a big show when I can see it's for no reason. Like if, if you have some skills and, but it's, but it's to the effect of making drinks faster or, or properly fine, use those skills. And sometimes that looks impressive to a guest when they're sitting there. But if you're just putting on a show that's really just slowing you down, that drives me crazy. Yeah. Like just make my fucking drink, man. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't take 20 minutes just because you want to practice your flair or whatever. Or let me ask you about this. Do you, uh, cause I think that we all have, um, this in us in a way where we know oftentimes the guest doesn't know as much as we do about a spirit or a cocktail or the process of making cocktail or wine or whatever it is, craft beer. There's a lot of bullshitting in our job, right? I've, I've tried to stop doing that because some, you're going to run into the odd guest who knows more than you about a certain thing, right? Like we, so that is something that, that can rub me the wrong way if, if I can tell like a bartender is bullshitting me about his, their knowledge. I would rather a bartender say, I don't know, when I somebody asks them a question, than lie and mm -hmm. pretend that they do, you know? And I've seen that happen. I remember I was at, it's like one of Bobby Flay's restaurants or something in New York, and uh, I was looking at the cocktail menu, and I hadn't ordered, and the lady next to me asked the bartender, what is Velvet Falernum? She saw it on the menu, it was in a cocktail, and <laughs> the bartender had no idea what Velvet Falernum was, and she was like, oh, it's a it's a botanical spirit made from herbs or something like that. And you know that I happen to know that that's not what velvet falernum is at all. And right. I just thought it was funny that she just like made something up off the top of her head instead of saying, I don't know, but let me grab the bottle and, uh, you know, but let's learn look together. At it. I'll, I'll yeah. take a look for you. Yeah, yeah. Like it's okay. Nobody knows everything. That's how exactly. we learn stuff. And it puts you in a vulnerable position to say, I don't know, but I'd rather, I'd rather say I don't know, and I'd rather somebody else say that than 
why and end up looking like an idiot. Yeah. And well, and part of it too is like, there's this new culture of guests who is trying to trip you up, you know, like that, like they'll come and oh, they'll, yeah. they'll be asking you for a specific, like a really ancient, um, like crazy specific unusual cocktail from like 1930 and they'd be like oh do you know how to make a cat's asshole like and uh, <laughs> like and, and then you and like you, you're putting this position where like oh god if i say no this is gonna be all over social media oh that bar's not a real cocktail bar they're not a real mm-hmm. cocktail bar because they don't know how to make the asshole from a cat like um, <laughs> but but so you're almost tempted to just be like, oh yeah, 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 and then you just Google it, right? But like, and then we, look it up. Yeah, but we shouldn't be in that position. Like, it's okay to say, actually, I have never fucking heard of that drink, you know? Yeah, and it, that that kind of you know humanizes you, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And that there have been times where somebody's like, can I get a pink flaming nipple or whatever? And I'm mm. like, well, I've never made that, but if you can tell me what's in it, I'd be happy to give it a try. And, you know, nine times out of ten, like, they're asking for something you don't have the ingredients for anyway. So, and nine times out of again, ten. Again, it's like, read the room, order based on the bar that you're in. Like, this yeah. is the flower shop where I worked. We had a very minimal back bar with hardly any modifiers. It was just, like, one whiskey, one tequila, one scotch, one bourbon, whatever. We didn't have, you know, green chartreuse. We didn't have maraschino liqueur. And all the time, people would come in ask for like a last word or like a Ramos gin fizz. And I was like, really? Like, does it look like I can make a fucking Ramos gin fizz at this bar? Like, I love that you're trying to flex your fucking cocktail knowledge on me, but read the room. Well, and nine times out of 10, they don't know what's in it either. Like, have you ever, because I I will do that now. I'm like, oh, no, I don't really know that one. What's in it? And they'll be like, oh, I don't know. And they they pull out their phone. (laughs) I was actually serving a group of dudes the other day who came in and they they were clearly just going off like uh, unusual or rare cocktail lists on their phone. Yeah, like a liquor.com article or something. Yeah, and I would be like, no, I don't know what that is. And then they would hold the phone out and I would have to look at the phone and be like, no, I don't have that or yes, I can make it. I'm like, what are we doing here? We have a cocktail list. If you want to try something new, why don't you try what we've made? (laughs) Yeah, that makes absolutely no sense. Like, what are you trying to stunt? Like, what are you trying to do? Who are you trying to impress? Exactly. I I don't get the weird, I don't get that weird side of what's happening with guests these days of the trying to trip you up like what how does that make your experience better to be like oh i fucking fooled this bartender at such and such a bar they don't know what they're doing like because i because i googled a cocktail and they didn't know how to make it like how does that making your experience as a guest any better yeah and then that kind of comes back to what you were saying earlier about all these you know people on instagram or youtube or whatever who they appreciate cocktail culture and they want to know about it and they, you know, fancy themselves an amateur mixologist, but they've never been behind a bar. Right. And it, it, there is like, you know, social media and, and just the prevalence of the internet is kind of fostering this culture of amateurs for lack of a better word, who think that they know about cocktail culture, but have absolutely no experience in the industry. And I think think that is kind of a slippery slope. I think it all comes back to Tucci. That's all his fault. I think it's fucking his, <laughs> think it's his fault that he's going to get the fuck off YouTube. Of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> he is handsome. I love him, though. I love Stanley <laughs> Tucci. For anyone who's listening, he is a phenomenal actor. Nothing yeah. against him yeah. as an actor, but stay away yeah. from Negronis, please. <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> like, I, when I want you. part, Stanley. How do you mess that up? 
What I want to see on Bar Director next time I pull up your website is a Stanley Tucci movie paired with a Negroni. Oh my God, <laughs> that would be the sickest burn. <laughs> I, I'm going to do that. How have okay. I not thought of that yet? Footnote the industry. He's, he's in a that. new movie too. Oh, I yeah? don't want to watch it though because it looks terrible. Yeah, uh-huh. it's a it's a remake of The Witches, like the Wald Dahl book. Oh. Remember, it was yeah, a, yeah. a movie like when I was a kid with Angelica Houston. Mm-hmm, I remember and, uh, that. Yeah, it's it's a remake because that's all there is anymore. His remakes and reboots and it's, the same well, fucking shit over and over. Well, I think that, uh, yeah, and that, that's an interesting thing in films, but it's also an interesting thing in craft cocktailing, and we can talk about that a little bit. Um, there's a lot of rebooting or there's expanding on an original idea because really it's kind of like ever since um, Robert Johnson or Sunhouse, whoever you want to say, did it, came up with the blues scale, all music has come off of that in some way, right? So it, it, do you feel in craft cocktailing that we're in a... a a similar situation where it's very hard to come up with something new? Yes and no. Yancy and I talk about this all the time and he thinks it's impossible to make an original cocktail. I kind of disagree. Um, but I do, I always, how is that affecting your relationship? No, (laughs) we're we're at odds all the time. He's sleeping on the couch. (laughs) Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, I when I create or try to create a new cocktail, it's almost always a riff on a classic. And I think your comparison to the blue scale or the pentatonic scale is a really, really good parallel um, or just improvisation in general, right? Because you have this foundation of the scale and the key that you're in, and then you riff on that and create something completely different that's unique and never been done before. And I think you can do that with cocktails, especially... Now, uh, with there just being like more options than there ever were and all these crazy new techniques and, you know, infusing and fat washing and smoking and all this, you know, wild stuff that that is relatively new and and coming more into the forefront of cocktail culture. So I think, yeah, I think you can still make a new cocktail, even if it is a riff on a classic uh, in the same way that. You can still make, you know, an, a new film, even if you're drawing from your predecessors. Like mm. you can, like that uh, Knives Out, I think, is a really good example of that that comes to mind. It's, yeah. you know, a classic, like, Agatha Christie-esque murder mystery, but it kind of did its own thing, and it was fresh, and it was exciting, and it was interesting, and it was like a, a riff on a classic, so to say, but it, it also stood up on its own. So I think there is a huge parallel there with music and movies and, and any kind of art, I guess, and cocktail culture. So yeah, I, I think you can still make new cocktails. Okay. I'm glad to hear that. I, like, I, some <laughs> it's, um, like some, I, I worry some of it's just like self masturbatory where it's like, you're just like putting oh, totally. ingredients for the sake of ingredients. And I'm like, well, okay, but what is that adding to the drink? Yeah. That I don't enjoy because yeah. if you have a 10 ingredient build and you can only taste like the base spirit and the citrus and maybe one modifier, then what, what the fuck is the point? Yeah. You know? I feel like that's like, what I did when I first started getting into craft cocktail. It was like, Oh, me too. Yeah, or, for sure. I was yeah. like, Oh, the more ingredients I add, the cooler it'll be. And the more yeah. people will be impressed, you know, yeah. but less yeah. is more. I think less is always more. Oh, you're <laughs> preaching to the choir. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to let's rapid fire a few questions at you here. Uh, oh, fun. Yes, yeah. No time to spend. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite jazz singer? Ella Fitzgerald. Okay, that's a good answer. Uh, who's your favorite film director? Oh, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. 
No? Okay, yeah. another good answer. Mm -hmm. I, 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 you're not, I'm, I don't know why I'm judging them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, you should. You should. I, I was like, oh, that was shit. <laughs> well, um, try again. Wrong. <laughs> I'll give you another try. Uh, what's your favorite cocktail? Uh, last word. Okay, all right. Um, I think that's all the rapid fire questions I had. That was, was less impressive than I was expecting it to be. Yeah, okay. <laughs> all good. I was, re I was ready for like. You were ready. You were worried. You were totally ready for it. Um, what can like when we all get back to normal here, assuming that that does happen? What's uh, what's your feeling about like? Are there any changes that you think the industry needs to make going forward to make it a better experience for the guests and the staff? For the staff, I think there needs to be some kind of stability. I think it's ridiculous. I mean, I know it's different in, in Canada and Australia. You guys have socialized healthcare, but I think it's ridiculous that we don't that we don't have any kind of stability in regards to uh, benefits or you know pensions or four hundred one ks or any kind of safety net to fall back on. And you know, if you lose your job, you're just completely fucked. And that's what happened to a lot of us. Uh, and it, again, it just goes back to that stigma against service industry workers or anything that is kind of off the beaten path that, you know, why should it be, oh, if I'm, you know, a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or a secretary that I have benefits, but because I serve drinks for a living, I don't, you know, it, it, it shouldn't have anything to do with that. So I think there need to be some changes in the service industry in regards to, Restaurants providing those benefits for their employees, and uh, that's a huge undertaking that I don't want to be in charge of. But somebody, <laughs> somebody has to do it. Yeah, let's and, get somebody smart on this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Stanley Tucci, where are you at? No, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, for guests, um, I, I feel like we do a pretty good job of giving guests the experience that they want. Uh, I would not like to hear their opinions on what we could do better because mm -hmm. that just turns into it's just gonna be a Yelp wrong. review that nobody asked for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I know. Uh, what you mean. Why? Maybe that's yeah. the thing. Stop fucking reviewing us about everything. Like, yeah, you know? that puts way too much power in the hands of the people. Yeah, definitely like, not always a good thing. Let I actually let's talk about that for a little bit. Like, how do you feel about all this unqualified reviewing that goes on in society today, just through the fact that everybody can pump out a review in two seconds on their phone i think it's bullshit and i think it's really dangerous and it, i know i keep relating everything back to movies but i watch too many yeah, but uh, it's kind of like um a twilight zone like black mirror-esque thing where there was an episode of black mirror where uh you review people like people review each other yeah and you're you're standing in the world and, and what is available to you what opportunities and what jobs and what homes are available to you are contingent upon your rating as a person and you know like on uber you can be rated and you can rate your driver and your driver can rate you so i, I think like we are stepping in that direction as a society and it's very scary that uh because of technology there is so much power in the hands of people to judge each other and i think that's a, a very slippery slope and definitely for the restaurant industry, like this, this is something that is totally unprecedented that a hundred years ago, no, you know, notable chef or bartender ever had to deal with. Right. Everything would probably just be word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And what's wrong with that? And then, and then like, and also like a group of qualified reviewers, 
who would come to your right. restaurant or bar with who and had say, oh, some sort of educational, rated, yeah, yeah. educational <laughs> background, not just yeah. fucking Joe Schmo who comes in and was pissed off that he didn't know how to make a cat's asshole. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's there's always going to be some extenuating factor why this person is judging you so harshly because you know their child was running around the restaurant screaming and bumped their head on the table and somehow that's your fault. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so now, now you have a one star rating. Like, yeah. how is that fair? <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> this goes for Uber drivers too. Give them a break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they should all get five stars. stars. It's a shitty job. Um, <laughs> I, I will let you go soon. You've given us a lot of time and we appreciate it. I, I, the last thing I'd like to ask you, what, what would be, because I think you've been pretty successful at this. Uh, I don't really know how to gauge successfulness in this, so you would, you have a better idea than I do. Who but, does? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but what advice would you give to somebody who's looking to do what you're doing, which I think is like, uh, which I, I'm impressed with. Like, you've just been innovative of getting out there, coming up with new ideas, how to do side hustles here and there to, like, keep yourself going while we're all going through this uncertainty. Thank you, first of all. And that's yeah. a great question. Um, you can you can teach anybody how to make a cocktail, but you can't teach passion. So I think if you're already a passionate person and you, you are already halfway there, then the rest of it is just, consistency and hard work and application uh you just have to do it all the time every single day and uh, social media as toxic as it is is also extremely beneficial and i've gotten so many opportunities that i would not otherwise have gotten if not for my presence on instagram and i feel stupid every time i say that out loud but like yeah, it's a no. very real it's a very real thing and it's it, what's you happening. can absolutely yeah. work it to your benefit and you should um but yeah, be consistent and give a shit about the quality of the content that you're putting out. I think that makes a really big difference in terms of people taking you seriously. Um, and as a woman in this industry, I feel like I am always working twice as hard to be taken as seriously as my male counterparts. So if you are putting out quality content consistently and actively giving a shit, then there's no reason that people shouldn't respect you. That's great. Well, thanks very much, Leah. Uh, I would like to say thanks for giving us your time. Say what's up to Yancy for us. You guys are literally the first couple of the industry podcast. Yeah, that's correct. Right? So you'll always Woo. be couple number one. So <laughs> we love both of you. Thanks for coming on. Uh, good luck with everything you're doing. Everybody should check out thebardirector.com. Is that right? Did I get that right? You nailed it. Yeah, well, that's what I do around yep. here. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks Thank again for coming on. So Thank much. you. Thank, Thank you. you. Good Take luck. Care. Thanks very Bye -bye. much.